0: So this is a recording of Kawabata's The Master of Go. I'm going to be reading an excerpt, chapter 28 to be specific, which is of my edition, uh, pages 114 to 120. It's actually one of the longer chapters in this book. And as discussed in the post, it's where the narrator uh, encounters a foreigner who wishes to play Go. My family had moved to Karuizawa at the end of July, and I had been commuting between Karuizama and Hakone. Since the trip took seven hours each way, I had to leave my summer house the day before a session. After a session, I would spend the night in Hakone, or Tokyo. Each session thus cost me three days. With sessions each fifth day, I had to set out again after a two-day rest. Then I had to do my reports, and it was an unpleasantly rainy summer, and in the end I was exhausted. The reasonable thing, it might be said, would have been to stay at the Hakone Inn, but after each session I would hurry off, scarcely finishing my dinner. It was hard for me to write about the master and otake when we were together at the inn. Even when I stayed overnight at Hakone, I would go down to Miyanoshita, or Tonosawa, it made me uncomfortable to write about them, and then be with them at the next session. Since I was reporting on a match sponsored by a newspaper, I had to arouse interest. A certain amount of embroidering was necessary. There was little chance that my amateur audience would understand the more delicate niceties of Go, and for sixty or seventeen installments, I had to make the manner and appearance and gestures and general behavior of the players my chief material. I was not so much observing the play as observing the players. They were the monarchs, and the managers and reporters were their subjects. To report on Go as if it were a pursuit of supreme dignity and importance, and I could not pretend to understand it perfectly, I had to respect and admire the players. I was presently able to feel not only interest in the match, but a sense of Go as an art, and that was because I reduced myself to nothing as I gazed at the Master. I was in a deeply pensive mood when, on the day the match was finally recessed, I boarded a train at Ueno, station for Karuizawa. As I put my baggage on the rack, a tall foreigner hurried over from across the aisle some five or six seats forward. That will be a go-board. How clever of you to know. I have one myself, a great invention. The board was a magnet decorated with gold leaf, very convenient for playing on a train. In its cover, it was not easy to recognize as a go-board. I was in the habit of taking it with me on my travels, since it added little to my baggage. Suppose we have a game. I am fascinated with it. He spoke in Japanese. He promptly set the board on his knees. Since his legs were long and his knees high, it was more sensible to have the board on his knees than on mine. I am grade 13, he said with careful precision, as if doing a sum. He was an American. I first tried giving him a six-stone handicap. He had taken lessons at the Go Association, he said, and challenged some famous players. He had the forms down well enough, but he had a way of playing thoughtlessly, without really putting himself into the game. Losing did not seem to bother him in the least. He went happily through game after game, as if to say that it was silly to take a mere game seriously. He went happily through, game after game, as if to say that it was silly to take a mere game seriously. He lined his forces up after patterns he had been taught, and his opening plays were excellent, but he had no will to fight. If I pushed him back a little or made a surprise move, he quietly collapsed. It was as if I were throwing a large but badly balanced opponent in a wrestling match. Indeed, this quickness to lose left me wondering uncomfortably if I might not have something innately evil concealed within me quite aside from matters of skill, I sensed no response and no resistance. There was no muscular tone in his play. One always found a competitive urge in a Japanese, however inept he might be at the game. One never encountered a stance as uncertain as this. The spirit of Go was missing. I thought it all very strange, and I was conscious of being confronted with utter foreignness. We played on for more than four hours, from Mueno to near Karuizawa. He was cheerfully indestructible, not in the least upset, however many times he lost, and seemed likely to have the better of me because of this very indifference. In the face of such honest fecklessness, I thought myself rather perverse and cruel. Their curiosity aroused by the novel sight of a foreigner at the go board, four or five other passengers gathered around us. They made me nervous, but they did not seem to bother the foreigner who was losing so effortlessly. For him, it was probably like having an argument in a foreign language learned from grammar texts. One did not, of course, wish to take a game too seriously, and yet it was quite clear that playing go with a foreigner was very different from playing go with a Japanese. I wondered whether the point might be that foreigners were not meant for Go. It had more than once been remarked at Hakone that there was, that there were 5,000 devotees of the game in Dr. DuBall's Germany, and that it was beginning to attract notice in America, too. One is, of course, rash to generalize from the single example of an American beginner, but perhaps the conclusion might be valid all the same that Western Go is wanting in spirit. The oriental game had gone beyond game and test of strength and become a way of art. It has about it a certain oriental mystery and nobility. The Honimbo of Honimbo Honimbo Shusai is the name of a cell at the Jakoji Temple in Kyoto, and Shusai the master had himself taken holy orders. On the 300th anniversary of the death of the first Honimbo Sansa, whose clerical name was Nikai, he had taken the clerical name Michon. I thought as I played Go with the American that there was no tradition of Go in his country. Go came to Japan from China. Real Go, however, developed in Japan. The art of Go in China now and three hundred years ago does not bear comparison with that in Japan. Go was elevated and deepened by the Japanese. Unlike so many other civilized arts brought from China, which developed gloriously in China itself, Go flowered only in Japan. The flowering, of course, came in recent centuries, when Go was under the protection of the Edo shogunate. Since the game was first imported into Japan a thousand years ago, there were long centuries when its wisdom went uncultivated. The Japanese opened the reserves of that wisdom, the road of 360 and 1, which the Chinese had seen To encompass the principles of nature and the universe and of human life, which they had named the Diversion of the Immortals, a game of abundant spiritual powers. It is clear that in Go that Japanese spirit has transcended the merely imported and derivative. Perhaps no other nation has developed games as intellectual as Go and Oriental Chess. Perhaps nowhere else in the world would a match be allotted eighty hours attended over three months. Had go, like the no-drama and the tea ceremony, sunk deeper and deeper into the recesses of a strange Japanese tradition? Shusai, sai the master, told us at Hakone of his travels in China. His remarks had to do chiefly with whom he had played, and where and at what handicap. So I suppose the best player in China would be good amateurs in Japan, I asked, thinking that Chinese go must, after all, be fairly strong. Something of the sort, I should think. They may be a touch weaker, but I should think a strong amateur there would be a match for a strong amateur here. They have no professionals, of course. If their amateurs and ours are about equal, then you might say that they have the makings of professionals. I think you might. They have the potential? But it won't happen overnight. They do have some good players, though, and I gather that they like to play for stakes. They have the material. They must when they can produce someone like Wu. I went to visit Wu of the sixth rank soon. As the retirement match took shape, much of my interest turned to the shape of his commentary was taking. I thought of it as a sort of aid and supplement to my report. That this extraordinary man was born in China and lived in Japan seems symbolic of a preternatural bounty. His genius had taken life after his remove to Japan. There had been numerous examples over the centuries of persons distinguished in one art or another in a neighboring country and honored in Japan. Wu was an outstanding modern example. It was Japan that nurtured, protected, and ministered to a genius that would have lain dormant in China. The boy had in fact been discovered by a Japanese Go player who lived in China for a time. Wu had already studied japanese writings on go it seemed to me that the chinese go tradition older than the japanese had sent forth a sudden burst of light in this boy behind him a profound source of light lay buried in the mud had he not been blessed with a chance to polish his talents from his early from his very early years they would have lain forever hidden no doubt in japan too remarkable go players have remained in obscurity Such is the way of the fates with human endowments in the individual and in the race. Examples must be legion of wisdom and knowledge that shone forth in the past and faded towards the present, that have been obscured through all the ages and into the present, but will shine forth in the future. So this is chapter 28. Um, Some points in relation to the post is the concept of the comparison between the foreign and the Japanese uh, here the contrast is is very sharp in the beginning but then later on in the chapter as he begins to discuss China you can see the theme of japanese and how Kawabata is trying to explore what it means to be of this race which is which is very much a common theme in both fiction and non-fiction. It's something that's prominent within their history books, within the way they present events, um, also in novels, such as otakus in Japan today, which are young people who have problems with finding their identity, among other things, and and end up revolving around an obsession, is considered to be an actual consequence of this being Japanese. What's most interesting is the perhaps and the questions, the uh, the undertone of uncertainty in this chapter, which I really enjoyed. The paragraph where it goes, Perhaps no other nation has developed games as intellectual as Go and Oriental chess. Perhaps nowhere else in the world would a match be allotted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He ends with the question, Had Go, like the team ceremony, sunk deeper and deeper in the recesses of a strange Japanese tradition? This he ends in a question mark. And I think this chapter being past the halfway point but and closer to the end is really trying to explore the contrast that the two players of the master and otake represent which is this old deep thinker who takes his time who has no time limit who plays a game that is that develops on its own versus otake who's very aggressive from the beginning and tries to uh, always play on the offense. The journalist, when he's observing these two men, is, is always it, it realizes that he's an amateur and is always uncertain that because of his lack of knowledge, he's not able to conclude on which way is better to approach the game. Should we continue with the vaster's way, in, in which takes time and not only becomes a way in playing the go game, but it becomes a way in living your life versus Otake who almost transforms himself into a whole other human being during the game. There are scenes where they're at the inn and they're alone together and the narrator uh, plays games with Otake and he's a pleasant fellow, he's a father, he's very much devoted to his students and his family. But during a game he's he's rude. he asks questions and performs makes certain remarks that would that go against tradition. So I think this chapter, though, talking about a foreigner is actually tying together many of the questions that the author is probably asking himself in post war Japan this style, this this subtlety of not actually taking a stance, but in fact, looking to the reader almost for some solid answer. Not taking a direct position, but, but asking more of a question. One can say it is more philosophical, but um, then definitely much more so than English literature. It would be interesting to take this into French literature, which has a tendency of, of adapting more of a like Descartes, Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre in in their works but uh, inherently which is in in the French tradition but um, I think that the, the the lack of quest for an actual answer is one of the characteristics in Japanese literature that really needs to be explored further it's something that I've always come away with but I'm uncertain as of yet whether or not this is still a personal standpoint or a, an actual reality and, and, and whether it's something that can be generalized for the fiction as a whole or, or whether it's for this time period. So that's definitely something to, to look into for the future.